Well, um, as I said, please have that um, passage open in front of you, Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16 is what we're looking at this morning. Now, if you have a car uh, that is over three years old, I learned, I was looking this up, you will know that there's two things you need every year. You need an MOT and a service. Yeah, what's the difference? Well, an MOT helps check that the car is safe. It, uh, the me- mechanic will do different checks to check the tyres are safe, check the seat belts, check the horn. And all those things are in place to make it sure that it is safe on the road to keep you and others safe. And then a service, well, that will look at the mechanics of the vehicle. So a, a service will be there to check that things won't break down, to check that things won't, um, uh, would be, uh, will be in a good state of repair for the coming year. So, so you, won't have to break, you won't be broken down on the motorway and have to call out the RAC. So you can see problems that can crop up and the service is important. So both those things are really important to have, aren't they? An MOT to check everything's safe and to keep us safe and others safe, uh, but as well the service so that you can foresee any reasons why things might break down and put those things in place. Well, the passage that we're looking at today is a bit of an MOT and a service for us as a church. So it's a chance for us to look at what the Bible says about how a church should be set up and to see, well, how are we doing according to that? It's always good, isn't it, to look at the Bible to see what we should be like. This isn't our plan. This isn't our idea. As Ephesians has made abundantly clear, the church is Christ's plan. It is his glorious plan and it's part of his plan to put all things right in this world that one day he will do see if we don't listen to the instructions of the bible on how a church is set up what can happen well the church can end up being a place where we're in danger a place where we can be a danger to ourselves and a danger to others and maybe you've experienced that in church life before or a car without a regular service is going to end up breaking down and if a church isn't in a healthy place and isn't following the biblical model then we're going to end up breaking down, falling apart, in danger again. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you think, well, what's this going to do for me if I'm not part of a church? Well, listen to how Jesus wants the church to be set up. Maybe you've got an idea in your head of what a church should be, and maybe that's part of why you're kind of holding off on Jesus. Look at what the Bible says about a church. This is what it should be. This isn't our ideas. This isn't our thinking. This isn't some brainstorming from a big management team. But this is what Jesus says the church should be like. Now, this isn't the only passage that deals with this, so we're not going to deal with every single area of church life. But I wanted that to be our focus as we came to this passage this morning, to say, well, how are we doing? Here's a health check for us, to ask ourselves individually and as a church, what should our church look like? So let's look at four marks then of a healthy church together this morning. The first mark of a healthy church is this. We should be looking... To Christ, looking up to Christ. Paul starts, doesn't he, in verse uh, 8. You see what he says there? Um, sorry, verse 8. In verse um, 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when it said he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now in this section, Paul is talking about Jesus being ascended. That is, that he has gone and returned back to heaven after he lived life on this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died that death we deserved. Then he rose again, and then he ascended to heaven, where we're told one day he will return. 
So in our minds here, Paul is starting by saying, look, Christ is the ascended Lord. He's the one who will one day return. In verse 80, quote Psalm 68. You can read that psalm. It's talking of this victorious king who has defeated. He's uh, defeated the enemies. He's victorious in battle. And he now is there kind of dishing out the, the spoils of the battle. So Jesus is ascended. He is the king. And he's the one our eyes must be on as a church. Now remember back in Ephesians 1, we said, what is God's plan for the world well, his plan ultimately for the world is to bring all things together under one head, under Christ. Remember how we've seen that actually the world is falling apart. Relationships are falling apart. Nations are falling apart. The fabric of the earth is falling apart. Everything around us is falling apart. But Jesus' plan is to bring all things together, to fix it one day. And that's what he will do. When he comes back, he will fix the things that are wrong. He will put right the injustices of the world. He will heal broken relationships. He will fix this world. He'll make it all brand new. That's what Revelation 21 tells us. No more sickness, no more dying, no more pain, no more struggles, no more strife. Freedom from all those things. That's where we're headed. That's the goal. And who's going to bring it to pass? But the risen, ascended Lord Jesus. And who is he going to use in the meantime to spread this message? Well, his body on earth the church. Look how verse 15 puts it. Speaking the truth in love, we'll get to that, but we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Christ is the head. He's the boss. We are his body on earth. We're to be his arms and his legs. We're to show the world who Christ is and what he's like. He's the boss. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one we're looking to. So we as a church need to be looking up to Christ. Now, a healthy church is always looking to Christ. A healthy church is always using him as the one who, he's our saviour. We rejoice in him. We can't save ourselves. He's done it all. It's not down to our goodness or our attendance or our religiosity. He has done it all. He lived the life we could never live. He died the death we deserved to die so that we could be right with God. Jesus has done it all. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's what we need to be doing. One of my jobs I feel every week is just to say, look at Jesus. Look at who he is. And that's what I want and I pray for every Sunday is that we leave here more amazed with Jesus, more amazed with what he's done for us, so that as we live our lives, we know that he is for us, that he is good, and that he loves us. And we want to tell people about him then. Look at Jesus. As a church, we need to be looking to him. And as we do that, do you see what it means? Jesus is the victorious one on the throne in heaven who will one day return, and nothing is getting in the way of that. Nothing is going to stop Jesus. He is going to do it. Remember what, we, what he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is, the church is kind of on the forefront. We're not kind of sitting back in the church on the forefront, pushing against the gates of hell, and the gates of hell can't stand up against the plan of Christ. Now, in this country, it doesn't always feel like that, does it? To be honest, if we're honest, most of the time it feels like we're totally on the defensive and we are being pulled back. But when we look, lift our eyes, and we've sung about it a couple of times this morning, about the worldwide church, other nations, the church is exploding. The church is growing. 
Christ is on the move. Or as C.S. Lewis puts it in the Narnia books, Aslan is on the move. Remember when the snow was thawing in Narnia? He's coming. He's here. He's on the move. Christ is on the move. And even though at the moment it might feel in this country like we're on the back foot, remember we're part of a global church, Jesus is winning and he is the one who we keep our eyes on. This is the winning, we're on the winning team. So sometimes we look at the hostility that's around us, especially in the Western world at the moment, and we feel like we're on the losing side. Look to Jesus. He's won. He's defeated the enemy. And one day he will return and show everybody, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I remember hearing of a man who took his son to the cinema to see a film. Obviously, that's what you do in a cinema. And um, he realised when the film started that his son was a bit too young to be in there. You know, he's a bit scary. And his son was a bit nervous and kind of clinging on to him. But this uh, father said to his son, he said, keep your eyes on the hero. Just keep looking at the hero. Why? Because he knew at the end of every good story, the hero wins. And so if you know the hero is going to be okay, suddenly it makes all the terror and the fear and the ups and downs of the story bearable. This morning, are you fearful? Fearful for your life, fearful for your church, fearful for your situation? Keep looking to the hero. Keep looking to Jesus. He's won. He's ascended. He's the victorious king. The marks of a healthy church, number one, is we look up to Christ. The second mark is this. We need to be aware of our gifts. What does that mean? Well, let's look at what happens next. What does the ascended Lord Jesus do with this amazing power that he has? What does he use this power at his disposal for? All the power in the universe is his. What does he do? Um, He, um, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, his grace. He is giving to each one of us gifts in order to to help one another and serve one another and encourage one another. So the ascended Lord, he has given every member of the church gifts, a gift or many gifts, in order for us to help one another. Look at verse 16. What's the purpose of these gifts? From From whom the whole body, joined and held together, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up um, itself in love. So we help one another grow together with the gifts that the ascended Lord has given to each one of us. Can you see what that means? You, and only you, have something that can help every one of us to grow and be more like Jesus as a church. And only you have that. It might be similar, you might have similar things, but you have a specific role to play. You might be thinking, oh, not me. No, maybe somebody else. Maybe somebody sitting next to me. Maybe them over there. But no, listen, look at what God's word says. Every one of us has been given a gift to help others grow. We're all in this together. We're all part of this. We're all in this as a team. Unless we're working together, we're not going to reach our full potential. If you don't serve others with the gifts that Christ has given you, we're missing out. So that means you are hugely significant in the life of this church. That means we need you. Now you might think, well, what are these gifts? There's a few places in the Bible where we have lists of these kind of gifts that are there, but sometimes the 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 lists aren't there uh, covering everything. 
there could be something that's obvious and out, out the front, you know, it could be something that everybody can see, but it might be more subtle. It might be that you have a gift of encouragement and you can just get alongside people where nobody else has known, but that you've phoned or you've sent a note or you've encouraged someone just to keep their eyes on Jesus, to keep going. Maybe you've got the gift of prayer and you've just got time to be able to set aside to pray. Maybe you have a gift of discernment where you can discern things and just know, no, this, doesn't, this isn't right. Maybe you've got a gift of cooking and you are really good at baking or really good at making things and you can just drop that off, give some, bless somebody with a cake or bless the church with that kind of thing and just encourage them. It might seem small, but it can be hugely um, important as part of serving each other. Maybe you've got the gift of driving and you can go and help and pick someone up. Maybe you've got the drift of a gift of organisation or administration and you can just organise things. You see things in a way and you can just clearly organise things. See, there's loads of different things and I'm just scratching the surface there. What could it be that God has given you? What do you enjoy? Now, these things we need to check. You know, sometimes we need to say, well, is this what, I think this is what God's given me. Let's check that. And we can pray through that together. But God has equipped us all and given us something to help each other. No one is exempt. And again, if you're thinking, not me, can I just show you again verse 7? Each one of us, Christ has given these gifts to. Each one of us. Perhaps you think, well, I know what my gift used to be. I know what I was able to do in the past, but now I, I, I can't do it anymore. Well, that's okay. It doesn't mean you haven't got a gift anymore. It might be that your role is changing. You've got some other role to play now that maybe you're not able to do what you used to do. But it doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means that God has gifted you. And we, each of us, need one another. Christ has given you something to encourage, help, and bless others with. Now, verse 11 helps us here as well, because it talks about the leadership and the role of the leadership in the church. To some, there's more prominent gifts, more obvious. Uh, he gave the apostles and the prophets. Now, we've seen earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and uh, chapter 3, verse 5 as well, that um, although there's different interpretations of these verses, so please, you can read up on those, but I would suggest that they are speaking of the foundational um, apostles and prophets, so the Old Testament prophets, the apostles' teaching, which is the New Testament, so the foundation of the Bible, which is what we're built on, uh, so we come back to God's Word. These are some gifts that he's given us. He's given us the Old Testament prophets. He's given us the apostles who have written the New Testament. Uh, he's given, um, who else does he say there in verse uh, 11, evangelists, those who have this gift to share the gospel, and pastors and teachers, and that we think is one role, a pastor-teacher, somebody who is a shepherd-teacher, somebody who um, cares for the flock uh, of God. And some of, so some of these gifts are a bit more obvious. Like I'm standing up the front, it's obvious what I'm doing to try and help and encourage. But notice, and this is what I want us to see, what is the reason that those gifts are given? Why is Christ given as pastor-teachers? Is it so that they get paid to do the work of the ministry? There you go. You do that. That's, you're a professional. You do that while everybody else watches on. Well, no, look at verse 12. Why, what is the point of a pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ? What is the role of a pastor teacher? It is to equip us, to encourage us to do the actual work of ministry. Do you see how different that is to how sometimes we can slip into thinking? The role of the pastor is to restore, equip, enable. That same word equip is used elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel where they're fixing nets. So the idea is that we are equipped, we are enabled 
to do the works of service, to actually do the work of ministry. So the pastor's role is to help the church to see their gifts and to encourage them to use them to serve one another. Can you see where it's showing us? It is not about one man doing everything. It's impossible. It's unhealthy. It's not right. We'll just end up breaking down or be a danger if one person has all the, uh, the power, authority, and does everything. Not at all. The role of a pastor teacher is to say, look, what is your gift? How can we help you to serve others to help us and build us up as a church? Now, I was talking to another pastor about this this last week, and, um, and he was saying how... how he struggles so often to ask people to help and to do certain things. He's saying, you know, I'm getting paid for this and yet I'm asking other people to do it. I just feel so bad and guilty about asking people. And I can feel, I really do feel for that and, and um, can really relate to that. We know how busy people are. We know how many things and burdens people carry. And yet, if we do not equip and let other people serve, then we are in, heading for danger. It is not healthy. If I take on more than I should... It's going to leave us impoverished. It's going to leave us unhealthy and in a dangerous place. We have all got gifts that we need to share, and we need to serve one another doing it. You know, a good question to ask is, how do you see church life? Do you see it as a show? You know, if you go to a theatre, what happens? You pay your money, and you sit and you watch the professionals do their job, and then you leave. Is that how you see church? Just come and watch. You're part of the audience. Or in fact, we see that actually what this is telling us is we're part of a team. We all need to play our roles. We all need to do our things, like a rugby team. You've got some who are front row. You've got some who are back row, different roles. Some need to be fast, some need to be strong. Well, everyone needs to be strong nowadays in rugby, but you know what I mean. You've got different roles to play. We have different jobs to do, and we all need to work together as a team for us to be built up. We need to be aware of our gifts. So the sign of a healthy church isn't just one person doing everything, but all of us working together, being equipped by the pastor teachers uh, to be able to do the work of service, to be able to do the ministry. Nobody's exempt you. What are the marks of a healthy church? We look to Christ. He's won. He's victorious. We're on his team. We're aware of our gifts. So over this next few weeks, why not pray, Lord, if you're not sure, what is it you've given me? And if you think, well, I know what it used to be, well, pray, Lord, what is it now that you want me to do? for you and for your glory and for your people. Every one of us has something to do. And if you want to talk about that, please, I'd love to be able to talk that through and see how we can do that. We need to be aware of our gifts. The third mark is this. We need to serve one another. Serve one another. So the ascended Christ has given each individual their gifts or gift. Why? Not for that person to be proud of the gift they've received. If you're given a gift, you don't say, oh, wow, how wonderful I am. No, you say, wow, thank you. That's really kind of you to have given me that. And you're kind of aware of the generosity of the giver. And you know, it's nothing to do with me, really. You've done it all. You've given it all. So these gifts are given not for us to feel good about ourselves, about what Christ has given us, but so that we can help others with the gift that he's given us. It means we don't feel like our gift is insignificant because the risen, victorious, wise Christ has given you that gift to serve others. It means you can't look on others if you think, oh, I've got a better role or a better thing. Not at all. Christ has given you that gift. How dare you use that to puff your pride up? It's nothing to do with you. Jesus has given it to you. So we praise Jesus for it. It also means we don't keep it hidden. 
it means that we need to use it and don't keep it to yourself. Don't be selfish with it because we need it. Share it. Share yourself. And this picture of a body, as it says in verse 16, isn't it? The whole body joined together, held and working um, out. That is such a good picture because there's different roles, but we're working together. Let me read a fleshed out version for that in 1 Corinthians 12. Look how Paul puts it there. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm, a, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honoured, we all rejoice together. There's a bit of a strange picture given there, isn't it? Imagine a body where it's just one eye. <laughs> Think, well, how are you going to eat? How are you going to talk? How are you going to listen? It's ridiculous. It's, you know, warped. It's, it doesn't look right. We need to all be working together. We need all parts of the body working or we miss out. Now, let, let me just hammer that home. It is no accident um, if you're here this morning that you are part of Peniel. It's no accident that God has brought you here. It's no accident that he has made you as you are with certain gifts and strengths and weaknesses. It's no accident that you're here. And Christ in all his wisdom has put us together as we are to serve one another, to help each other, to bless one another. So let's be on the lookout of how we can serve. Love others, serve others. You're essential. There's no spare part. We're all needed to work together. And don't let the enemy say otherwise. Satan would love you to think, oh, I'm in, I, I can't do anything. I, what can I do? No, we're all given roles and gifts. So how can you serve? Remember, without you, the church is impoverished. Without you, we're missing out and we're not reaching our full potential. We need to serve one another sacrificially. Christ has given us the gifts. We don't show off about them. We don't boast in them. We boast in Christ. He's given us them. We point to him. So a healthy church is to look up to Christ. A healthy church is aware of our gifts. And a healthy church serves one another with those gifts. The last thing is this. A healthy church matures together. A healthy church matures together. I don't know if you've ever been told to grow up. It's not a nice thing to hear, is it? Grow up. You know, what is that saying? You're not acting your age. You know, come on now. You need to grow up. Well, in verse 14, look what we're told there. Um, the, one of the th results of us serving one another is that we mature so that we may no longer be children. He's saying we need to grow up. How do we grow up? By serving one another, building one another up. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Paul is saying here, isn't he, we're immature. We're like children. And 
Interestingly, Paul's including himself there. He's saying we need to grow. Now, if the Apostle Paul says we need to grow, there's nobody exempt here is there for us saying we need to grow. We're a bit too childish. We need to mature here. We're spiritually, we can be like babies. Now, there's nothing wrong, is there, with having a spiritual baby. And think of having, babies are lovely to have around, aren't they? And, and toddlers, they're full of energy and joy and life. And, you know, Jesus says, learn from the children. We want the children to be here. We want spiritual babies as well. We love the joy of and energy and passion of new Christians. You want that in a church. But the same as it comes with, with babies. If a baby at the age of 14 is still you know, wearing nappies or still eating mushed up food or still learning things that they should have learned, you think, well, there's a problem here. We need to be growing. We need to be maturing. So what does maturity look like? What does growing up look like in this passage? Well, look at verse 14 again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried uh, by all these different winds of doctrine. Immaturity looks unsteady. Somebody whose kind of mind is always changed. Somebody who's always deceived and vulnerable. Somebody who's to and fro. No, somebody who's mature is rooted and somebody who's mature is not easily swayed one way or the other. Now we looked last time at unity and humility. It doesn't mean we can never change our mind, but it means there is a steadiness. It means that we are um, firm in what we believe. We'll look at that in a few moments. But a healthy church it needs to be growing up. So what does it look like? Well, we see the stability, but we'll get to that in a moment. Look what it says as well. Until verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith. Maturity looks like oneness in Christ. That we're all um, united together. And there's not, not so much divisions, but there's a maturity. We're united around Jesus. We're fixed on him. We have him in common. We have other things we might disagree on, but we agree on Christ. And we look at his, as we look at him, we remember he looked at our needs, not his own. We look at for other people's needs and not our own. We have the humility, verse 2 of chapter this chapter, and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love that helps us maintain the unity we have. There's a Christ-likeness to our unity. So we grow and we are selfless in our growth. Now a child's world is very small, isn't it? A baby's world is even smaller. A baby just cries because it wants milk. And that's all it thinks is, I need milk, or I need a change of nappy, or you know, there's only, it's very basic, I need sleep. All, the baby's world is all revolving around itself. But as you grow and help a child to grow, you want them to see the world is bigger than their needs. Look, there's other people who need help. There's other people who need support. And as we grow spiritually, we start to think of other people's needs more than our own. We start to serve other people. And that helps us as we grow united together. So unity is one thing that shows maturity. Another thing in verse 13 we see is this Christ-likeness. Look, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As we grow, we become more Christ-like. So as we serve one another with the gifts that Christ given us, we end up becoming more like him because we are his body on earth. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his legs. We are his mouth, as it, not his mouth, as the head, but we, are his speak, we do speak for him here in, uh, as part of his body. So when people come into church, when people are, are with us, they should encounter Christ. They should see something of Christ amongst us. 
They're to see his love, his joy, his peace, his sacrifice, his humility. We're to be a place that becomes more and more like Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. Uh, it doesn't mean that um, we will pretend that nothing ever happens as wrong because we want to show Christ to people. No, no, no. We are sinners saved by grace. We'll be sinners till the day we die, and we are a work in progress. You know, we are, as Paul classes himself as a child wanting to grow, there's going to be messy um, situations around with children. Children make a mess, don't they? If you've ever been to a house where there's a child around, it doesn't take long till something's spilt or something's broken. Children are messy. We are going to make a mess of things. But we, people should see something of Christ in us as a church. A healthy church, we're showing more of Christ. So one thing we see is unity. That's one sign of maturity. Another sign is we're more like Christ. And the last thing is the stability. So maturity looks like somebody who is firm in their faith. Somebody who isn't blown around, around by every false teaching or fad, which there would have been a lot around in, in Ephesians in the first century. There still is today. We, we know what God has taught us. We know the kind of foundations of the faith. We know the Apostles' Creed. We know what um, the Bible teaches. And even though we might have doubts, even though we might have loads of questions, it doesn't mean that doesn't happen. Look at the Psalms. David is crying out, why? I don't understand. I don't get it. Help me. There will be doubts. There will be questions. But even in that, there's a steadiness. I know Jesus died. I know he rose again. And I know I can build my life on that. We stand on the same beliefs that we have, the Christians have for centuries. We're not making this up. We're nothing, there's nothing new. It is the old, old story of the gospel. And that's why we need verse 15. We speak the truth in love to one another and then we're to grow up in every way into the head that is Christ. So speaking the truth in love isn't so much, you know, sometimes you might say, oh, I need to speak the truth in love to you, which is basically saying something that isn't very nice. Saying, well, I'm doing it in love. No, it's saying we need the gospel to help truth us keep to help us, us um, in line. So if we're not living in line with the gospel, we need to lovingly tell someone the truth. Or maybe we've just forgotten aspects of the gospel. We need to lovingly say, remember Jesus loves you? I've just been reminded today that you are righteous in Christ. You know, I want to tell you, I want to encourage that. Let me speak the truth to you in love. And we do it in love. Truth without love is, is just brutal. And you can't have love without truth. We need them both. So we need to pray, don't we, here? Please help us to, to live that out. And why? Because verse 16, we build one another up. So we grow, we build itself up in love. So we need each other. We need, we need to grow together. We need to be mature as a church. And we only can do that together. Let's ask that question just as we close as well. Are you growing as a Christian? Are you maturing as a Christian? Because sometimes when you think, oh, I, I want to grow, but then we just isolate ourselves from one another. Do you see what this passage is showing us? To grow up together, we need each other. We can't do it on our own. We need one another to help and encourage. We need your gifts. I need your gifts. The person next to you needs your gifts to help serve and build one another up. Don't isolate yourself in your desire to want to grow in Christ. You need to be part of the church and um, we need one another. So what are the signs of a healthy church? What's the spiritual health check showing us? Let's look to Christ, the ascended Lord. Let's be aware that he, in his victory, has given us gifts. Why? So that we can serve one another and build one another up. Why? That what happens to that? Then we mature together. We grow up together. Now, can you see, if you're not a Christian here this morning, what's the big goal of this? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. He's the one who's the head. 
And so whatever else you might have missed this morning, please remember this. Jesus loves you and he wants you to know how much he loves you. He came to this world and he humbled himself from the heights of heaven to be a nobody on this world, died the death on the cross because he loved you and wanted you to have a fresh start with him. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven and amazingly he's given the role to weak, uh, foolish failures like us to be able to tell the world this message. Why does he use weak, foolish failures? But because then we can point, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. The weaker we are, the more we show it's Christ. Do you trust in him this morning? Will you trust in him? Will you hear his love to you? He's done it all. You are loved deeply. And please, in our weak way as a church, we're trying to be his body here on earth. So let's pray for each other. We need you, each other. Let's pray and commit this time um, to our God. Let's ask him to use this word in our lives today. Father, we know that in so many ways we fall short of uh, what we've read this morning. We are know, Lord, as we've thought over the past few weeks, we are a work in progress as a church. But we pray you'd help us to be a safe place for people. We pray you'd help us to uh, be a place where we as Christians can grow together as we each acknowledge that the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, has given us a, a role to play here as part of the body. Lord, we pray, shape us, please, by your word. Shape us as your people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.